Well, welcome and good morning, everybody. If it's your first time here, my name's John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you coming on out. Today, we are really coming down the home stretch of this fall series that we are calling Follow Me. And if you've been here before, you know that the big theme for this series is this idea that Jesus was a master evangelist. He had this really a unique ability to kind of get out there and engage with anyone and everyone all across the spectrum, rich, poor, powerful, powerless. When you actually look at the Gospels, you see that people who were nothing like Jesus liked him, right? They, 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 they wanted to be in his company. They wanted to be in his presence. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And so our goal for this series is to figure out his secret sauce. How did he how did he manage that? How did, like, we want to learn how he engaged with people, and then we want to follow his lead as we go out into the world to try to engage with people and to tell others about Jesus Christ. So the last m- story that we looked at last week really was a story that we've never touched on before. Honestly, it's one of the more obscure stories uh, about Jesus. Today, what I want to do is the opposite. I want to look at really one of the greatest stories that Jesus ever told, and it's called the prodigal son. Now, if you're a brand new Christian, if you're new to Christianity, if if you're new to the kind of the church world, what you're going to come to find out is that this is one of those stories that you're going to hear over and over and over again. Churches hit this story once or twice a year. It's just that good of a story. Now, I don't know about your family, but in my family, there are certain stories that we always retell, right? It's like holidays come around, we're all around the table, we just, you know, we tell the same stories year after year. Everybody knows the punchline, everybody could tell the story, but there's just, there's something about rehearsing a story, isn't it? There's just, there's something so important about that. That's the prodigal son. So today's encounter begins in Luke 15, and we're going to start in uh, verse 1, just kind of set the scene. Now Luke tells us that the tax collectors, And other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This is what we've been saying every week. People who were nothing like Jesus, liked Jesus, wanted to be around him. They wanted to hear him teach and see what he had to say. Now, this made the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders uh, and teachers of religious law, complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Okay, So Jesus here finds himself in a mixed crowd. A mixed audience. There are two groups, right? You got the tax collectors and the sinners, and Luke separates them so the sinners don't get, you know, angry that they call them tax collectors. And you got the Pharisees over here. Two groups. One group that thought they were so bad that God would never approve of them. And then you got the other group over here who thought they were so good that God had already approved of them. And last week we learned that they were both wrong. Jesus, in this moment, wants to speak into everybody's heart, into everybody's situation. And so to do that, he tells three consecutive parables that all kind of give the same uh, concept. He tells the parable of the lost sheep. He tells the parable of the lost coin. And then he wraps it up by telling the parable of the lost son, or as we call it, the prodigal son. That's the one that I want to look at today. So Jesus begins, I think we're in 12. Yeah. Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Essentially, he's going, dad, I I, I wish you were dead. Honestly, can we just like pretend that you're dead? And so just give me my inheritance now and, and, and we'll just call it a day. 
Imagine if, if you have children. Imagine if your child said this to you. How would you feel? How would that land in your heart? How would you respond to that? I'll tell you this, that original Jewish audience, when they heard this, they would have been appalled. I mean, they would have been fired up at the disrespect shown to this father. And they would expect the father, and a good father for that matter, to disinherit this son, to drive him away for, for saying something like this. Well, Jesus said that the father actually agreed to divide the wealth between the two sons. That original audience would not have expected this. Okay, this is not normal. They, 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 they don't know what this is, but this is not what you do with a son like that. Now, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there, he wasted all his money in wild living. So the kid takes the cash, leaves town. Realistically, he would have to do that because once the other villagers found out about what he had said and what he had done, they, they probably would have stoned him. That's The law of Moses actually called for him to be stoned for doing and saying something like that. So he takes his money, he moves to a different country, blows all of the inheritance. Now, about that time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the field to feed the pigs. So we don't know how long this has taken place. Okay? I, I assume the inheritance was sizable. So if he really worked at it, maybe he blew through it all in several months. But honestly, this could be a couple of years. But whatever the case may be, the cash is gone. And he's now working in a pig farm. Jesus says that the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. In other words, he's reached rock bottom. He started off this journey, you know, thinking he was going to be living his best life. I'm out of here. I'm going to do me. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. You can't tell me what to do. Now he's far from home, both literally and figuratively, and he's doing things that he never thought he would ever be doing. I mean, he's actually entertaining the idea of eating pig food. Now, if this story ended here, right, the audience would have cheered. I mean, they would have loved it. They would have gone home that night. They would have told their kids this story, and they would say, you see? <laughs> you see? That's what happens when you don't obey your father. You end up in a pigsty. Now, Go clean your room, right? Get out of here, right? I mean, that's the thing. They would love that story, but the story does not end here. It says when he finally came to his senses, and that's huge. Kid finally comes to his senses. He says to himself, you know, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father. And I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please. Take me on as a hired servant. Dad, I've wrecked everything. Dad, I've, I've, just, I've destroyed our chance at, at having this, this relationship. I, I've, I've, I've given up. Honestly, I've given up on the possibility of having you know, that kind of bond that we once had. But would you show me some mercy? Would you let me be a servant in your household? Effectively, would you let me work off my sin? You know what he's doing right here? He's rehearsing an apology. Do you ever do that and you mess up at work and you kind of think, okay, how am I gonna, what am I going to say to my boss about what I've done here? You mess up at home, think about what am I going to say to my wife? What am I going to say to my husband? We did it a lot as kids, didn't we? I mean, you mess up at school, teacher calls your parents, you spend the rest of your day thinking about, okay, what am I going to say? 
when I get home. Okay, this is not going to be good. Reminds me, honestly, that saying sorry takes courage. I mean, it really, really does. Admitting that you've messed up, admitting that you failed, admitting that you've allowed yourself to wander takes courage. Say what you want about this kid, but he recognized that like, he has sinned against his father, against God, and he's willing to own up to it. He's willing to apologize. And here's what we forget as a modern audience. This, this is an ancient Jew. I mean, according to the law of Moses, and he knows this, he should be stoned for this kind of debauched behavior and what he said to his parents. And if he goes back and he apologizes, he, he knows that this could be the end, literally, for him. But he's hoping somewhere that maybe, just maybe, his father would show him some mercy. I actually think many people never apologize for fear of the consequences. I really do. I think a lot of us never apologize. I think a lot of us never admit to our wrongs. I think we might never go to the people that we've hurt, and that could be God. Because deep down, we're just afraid of the consequences of our actions. We're afraid to say, hey, I've messed up. God even, I messed up, you know. I've, I've made unwise choices. And now I'm far from home. Instead, what do we do? We run, right? And we just run, and we keep running, and we keep running. This son is done running. He's had enough. And he heads home. It says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Now the audience is back, right? Father sees this ingrate coming from a mile away. They know he's going to step up. This dad's finally going to do the right thing. Get the stones, right? This kid's going to wish he never showed his face around this town again. Instead, Jesus says, filled with love and compassion, the father ran to his son embraced him, and kissed him. See, if the villagers saw the son first, they're going to drive him away, right? Or worse, they're going to stone him. The father knows this. And so he runs to get to this son first, which, by the way, would have shocked that crowd. Because in order to run at this time, this guy would have had to pick up his robe. That's a no-no. You didn't show your legs back then. And what's worse, as we can see from historical records, any respectable man would not run back then. So what is Jesus telling us? He's telling us that this father is willing to publicly humiliate himself for his son's sake. He cares nothing about the opinions of other people or the scandal of his own actions. Father grabs his servants. He says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. I love that he just says quick, right? There, there, there's no I told you so. There's no demand for some long, drawn out, protracted apology. He doesn't ask the son to kiss his ring, get on his knees, kiss his feet. There's no probation period. It's quick. Quick. Get him a robe. Get him a ring. It's time to celebrate. For this son of mine, I love that, this son of mine was dead and now is returned to life. He was lost. But now he is found. So the party began. I got to imagine that this story was extremely confusing for that original Jewish audience. I mean, ev everything this father does, everything this father says, goes against everything they know. This is not the way things are supposed to go. 
Because in their world and in their time and in their culture, sinners are outcasts. They're pushed to the side and they're forgotten about. You don't, you, you don't let them off the hook. You don't welcome them back into the family. You certainly don't throw them a party. Now remember who's hearing this story. Remember who's in that audience. You got tax collectors, who everybody hated, and notorious sinners. And now they're hearing Jesus tell this parable and they know what parables are and how they work. And they're thinking, is, is, he, is Jesus saying what I think he's saying? I mean, is it possible, no matter who I am or what I've done or how far I'm, I, I might be from God, are you, is, is God going to welcome me back? Story continues. Meanwhile, Jesus says, the older son was in the fields working. And this is a pregnant sentence if I've ever seen one. There's a lot going on here. I mean, at one level, Jesus is just setting the scene in the story, letting us know that when the younger brother comes home, older brother, well, he's just out in the fields working. But at a deeper level, he's reminding us that while the younger brother was away, living recklessly, blowing the family's money, breaking mom and dad's heart, meanwhile, the older brother stayed home worked, picked up the slack. Older brother hears the music, scripture says, sees the dancing inside the house, goes to his servant, goes, what's, what's, what's going on back at the homestead? Servant says, well, your, your, your younger brother's home. Your dad's throwing a party. Do you, wa- you want to come in? It says, while the older brother, uh, it says the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. Now his father came out and begged him. Um, but he replied, all these years, Dad, all these years, I've slaved for you. Look at that word, slave. That's how he views this relationship with his dad. He looks at his dad as a slave master. All these years, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. There it is. There it is. He's mad because he's not getting what he thinks he deserves. I'm the good son. I stayed behind. I've done everything. I deserve the fat calf. He's the sinner. He deserves no blessing at all. How many times do we as Christians, if you're a Christian in this room, look at our lives and think, and we're never going to admit this, but we, we, we look at our lives and we think, you know, I'm good, right? I, I go to church pretty regularly. I, I, I donate. I I read the Bible, I volunteer, I've done all the things you've asked me to do, God. And yet, you gave my coworker that promotion. That should have been mine. You let their kid get into that college, and not mine. I deserve that blessing. I'm good. Watch as the older brother begins to blame the father now. He says, yet... When this son of yours, putting it back on him, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, by the way, Dad, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. The anger. The self-righteousness. Honestly, the confusion. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Oh, the brother's like, huh? Dad, didn't you just hear what I said to you? Dad's like, yeah, I, I heard everything you said. But I don't, I don't know why we're talking about that. 
because you were always with me. And that's what I value most. Everything I have, it says, is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. He wasn't with me. And now, he's alive again. He's with me. He was lost, right? We knew where he was, but he wasn't with me. And now he's found. He's with me. So, will you come into the party? Because this party is not about what your brother deserves. It's about proximity. It's about a relationship with me. He's back. You never left. So will you come in? Because I got two sons, and I got to be honest with you, I got one son over there who doesn't think he deserves to be at this party, and I got one son right in front of me who also thinks he doesn't deserve to be at this party. You both are hung up on performance, not realizing that performance has nothing to do with this at all. It's all about relationship. So please, son, would you come in? and celebrate that your brother is with me. That's where the story ends. We never find out if the older brother goes inside. So how do we follow Jesus' lead? That's the question we're asking every single week. What can we learn from this parable, and how can we begin to apply it to our lives as we begin to go out into the world and and engage with folks and tell them about Jesus? The first thing that kind of jumps out at me And I think it's so interesting, and I think it's so helpful for any of us who might have a prodigal of our own in our lives, okay? What we see is that the father never rescued the son. Did you notice that? I mean, think about this. He loved his son enough to let him end up in a pigsty. So that when that son finally hit rock bottom, what does scripture say happened? He comes to his senses. The father loved the son enough to let the God-given consequences of his actions happen and play out for his own good. When it comes to the prodigals in our lives, and this might sound harsh, the truth is rescuing isn't always helping. Stepping in to save them or or to kind of drag them home back to you isn't always helping. Now, I understand that the idea of letting them hit rock bottom or the idea of letting them face the consequences of their own actions, that is scary. That can be very scary because you don't know how that's going to play out. But here's what we do know. God is faithful. And you just got to trust God with your prodigal. Because as this story lets us know, God can work mightily through those consequences. God can completely change someone's life and he can use those consequences as a catalyst to save them and bring them home to you and bring them home to him. Second thing we learn in this parable is that we need to celebrate. And this is huge. Jesus told three parables in a row. Each parable described how a celebration broke out when someone was reconciled with God. That when someone who is far from God is now with God, you celebrate. Now, if you're a Christian in this room, you have a relationship with God. You are with God. You've been set free from the sin in your life, which means you got a reason to celebrate. So let me just ask you this. Does your life demonstrate joy? How about your marriage? Or your family? Or your personal life? Do they demonstrate the joy that you have in the Lord? 
Is that joy visible at birthday parties? At Thanksgiving? At Christmas? I mean, can people see your joy at work? Can they see your joy at school? How about when you're volunteering? Maybe even at the gym, right? Do, do people look at you and they go, wow, where does this joy come from? I want what you have. Or do they look at your redeemed life and they say, mm, no thanks, I'll pass. The last thing that I see in today's story is the need to guard against what I'm going to call older brother syndrome. Churches spend a lot of time talking about prodigals, probably because most of us at some level are prodigals. Churches do not spend enough time talking about the older brother. And yet, in my opinion, from what I have seen, many churches are filled with older brothers. People whose hearts have not been softened by the gospel of mercy that saved them. People who are self-righteous. People who are angry at sinners in our community. Now they might say, no, you misunderstand, right? You misunderstand our anger. What we have is righteous anger towards sin, right? We're mad at the sin that we see in this world. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I've certainly heard the old refrain, love the sinner, hate the sin. I think we've all heard that, but I'm going to be honest with you. It feels like you hate the sinner. I mean, it just feels like you don't want sinners coming to church or to your church. I mean, it feels like you don't want sinners volunteering to serve the Lord. And it feels like you want sinners attacked at every opportunity. And they feel it too. See, these older brothers might be Christians, but they're nothing like Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't get mad at lost things. And neither should we. Today's parable really teaches us about the kingdom of God. A kingdom of love and mercy and patience and forgiveness. A kingdom that goes out to find and welcome the lost, brings them back without rebuke or any recrimination, and rejoices with great celebration for any who are found. So, what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you hear. So when you take a step back from the story of the prodigal son, okay, from this particular parable, and you focus less on the individual lessons because there's so much that we can learn, and you focus more on the overall theme, I believe what Jesus is trying to do for that original audience and for us is to show us the true nature of God. To introduce to us who God really is and what God really looks like. Why? Because our view of God matters. It really, really does. When we see God the wrong way, we won't listen to him. When we see God the wrong way, we won't appreciate his love and his care for us. See, we may look at God and see him as a roadblock, just standing in the way of us doing what we want to do and having a good time. Or we might see him as just a resource who's there to give us whatever we think we deserve. Maybe when we think about God, we think about him as being always angry, constantly criticizing. Maybe we'd borrow a term from the older brother and we'd say God is nothing but a slave master interested in my performance alone. 
2,000 years ago, Jesus was looking into a crowd made up of tax collectors, notorious sinners, and Pharisees, all of whom had the wrong impression of God. And their misconception clouded and hindered their relationship with their Heavenly Father. And so Jesus told them a story to clear up any confusion that they might have. And so my question for you today, with all that being said, is this. Would Jesus recognize your God? If we could somehow, with magic or, or technology, manifest right here God according to you, the God that, that you've been worshiping, the God that you've been praying to, or maybe the God that you've been running from, if we could manifest God according to you and put him right here on this stage, and if Jesus walked through these doors up onto this stage, would he recognize your God? Would he see a God that looked like the good father in this story, someone who is gracious, merciful, loving, and forgiving? Or would Jesus look at your God and say, Who is this? I've, I've never met this God before. This is not my father. Let me pray for you. Dear Holy Father, I want to thank you that this account has been preserved for so many years, Jesus. Because the truths that are inside of it are so powerful and profound, Lord, because each and every single one of us at some point in our life, has struggled to know who you are. And God, so many of us, perhaps even in this room today or watching online, when we think about God, Lord, we think that you hate this world. That you do nothing but judge this world, Lord. Perhaps we think of you as a slave master. God, but we know, based on this story and based on your scripture, that you love this world that you sent your son into this world not only to die on our behalf, but to be embarrassed and scandalized on that cross for us because you loved us so dearly. God, I pray that today by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, if there is someone in this room who does not have a proper I, um, conception of you, Lord, I pray that the scales would fall from our eyes, Lord, that we would see you as the good father, who if we but take one step towards you, would come running towards us, would wrap a robe around us, Lord, would kiss us, embrace us, and call us his son or his daughter. And we know, Lord, that heaven would rejoice in celebration because that's what you do when someone is with you. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name.